Hello and welcome back to this edition of YCT Matters, Yankee Institute's podcast. This is Carol Platt-Lebow, the president of Yankee Institute, and we're delighted today to be joined by Chris Herb, the president of the Connecticut Energy Marketers Association. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Well, it's June 10th, and I'm just mentioning the date because... Right now, the price of gas is? Just a hair under $5 and probably moving quickly past that as we speak. Right. So by our air date, sadly, I suspect the price will have gone up, don't you think, Chris? It would surprise me if it doesn't. All indications are is that that's where we're headed. Yep. And so, you know, it seemed like it was important for us first, help us understand a little bit about what SEMA, the acronym for the your organization, um, what SEMA does here in Connecticut. Sure. We're a trade association, which is a little bit different than a lot of people aren't familiar with with what those are. And and basically, as we represent an industry of people who have common businesses, uh, gasoline, heating oil, propane, HVAC. So our trade association was formed in 1950. Uh, There are 600 home heating oil and propane dealers in Connecticut and about 1,200 gas stations. So we represent them. So basically, if it's fuel that's delivered in a truck, our members are the people who own those trucks. They own the fuel. They're the ones who's putting it in the tanks and likely own the gas stations where you go to fill up. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 13,000 employees. Uh, Many of our members are in their third, fourth, and even fifth generation. Wow. Okay. So it's like a family tradition. It absolutely is. And a very local family-owned industry. This is not, you know, uh, people based in Abu Dhabi. These are these. Our members are based in Waterbury and Thompson and and in you know New Haven. We're we're the local family-owned companies in Connecticut, and like I said, been here for a century. Yeah, members of our communities all across the state. So, Chris, let's talk a little bit about what these rising fuel prices mean for our people here in Connecticut. Um, you know, I, I mean, everybody is noticing the prices at the pump and, and just how rapidly they've been rising. And it has an impact on everyone, even if you don't drive a lot. Sure. So gasoline and diesel fuel are a necessity of life. There is no avoiding it. Whether you're actively driving back and forth to work or retired, these products have an impact on, on everything you purchase, um, whether it's the fuel itself to fuel up your car to go to work, bring your kids to school, go to church on Sunday, or whether it is um, it, whether it's you're getting an Amazon delivery, whether you're getting a prescription delivery, all of the price of energy is weaving itself into every consumer product that's purchased in Connecticut and put in making them more expensive. Yeah, because I mean, if you think about it, your groceries, I mean, those those go over the road. If it goes over the road, if it's flown in the air, any way it's transported, you're paying more for it because of the price of fuel. You can't duck it. And and it is it is showing up. We were experiencing prior to energy prices really starting to surge, we were already experiencing inflation across the economy anyways. Throwing higher energy costs on top of it, not higher energy costs, record-breaking energy costs on top of that is just starting to crush consumers. It makes things so difficult for people. So help us understand um, what what 
this means um, for your local suppliers and these these people here across Connecticut? Yeah, we're one step away from the consumer, right? We're, we we go to the the terminal in New Haven or Rocky Hill, or East Hartford, pick this fuel up, and we bring it to the local gas station, or we deliver it to people's homes from, on the home heating fuel side. So we're just one step away. We're at the end of the chain. This is beyond our control. This is really a pennies or nickel business for us. So because prices are higher, doesn't mean that your local retailer is making any more money. Quite the contrary. Typically, margins shrink in high price environments. So we are making less money and we're experiencing all of the types of inflation that the customer is. Our wage inflation, our, our, our employees are demanding higher pay. Uh, we get fuel delivery charges when we receive fuel. Uh, when we get our trash removed, there's there's surcharges on trash removal. So, so we're really in it with our customers, and especially being your neighbor. You know, the people who own that local gas station are your neighbors. Most of the country. The refiners own and operate gas stations. In Connecticut, since 1979, refiners like ExxonMobil and Shell have been divorced from owning and operating stations. So so when you fill up, you're filling up from a, a, a gas station that's owned by maybe your neighbor. Well, that's really interesting. So now just to slow down, and, and for those among us like me who are not really terribly acquainted with the mechanics of this business, help us understand. So you have the fuel. You have, for example, the gas, and it comes from the refiners. And those are the people that, you know, all our friends in Washington that we see on TV, um, those are like the 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 Exxons and the Mobiles, correct? Yes. And the, they ship the fuel where? Yeah. So the, those are the, the refiners are the brands you know. When you drive down the street, you see a gas station. Those, those brands are typically people who extract energy from all parts of the world, whether it's the the, the Gulf of uh, off of the coast of Florida or the Middle East or other parts of the world, Russia, for example, which is obviously having a huge impact on where we are. Um, those are those are the brands where it comes from. They they extract that crude oil. They typically bring them to refineries in the United States where crude is turned into refined products like heating oil, diesel fuel, gasoline, kerosene. Then they're shipped to terminals throughout the country. In Connecticut, the major points of supply are New Haven, uh, New London, and Groton. And then there is a pipeline that runs from New Haven along the Connecticut River where fuel is delivered to Portland, Wethersfield, Rocky Hill, East Hartford, and eventually to Bradley Airport and eventually stops in Springfield. And so and, and and so there are pipelines that bring them. And then you all, sorry, I mean, if I'm sounding like a dodo, please forgive me. Um, but all these practical things interest me so much because, you know, how else are we all supposed to learn about them? And so then your trucks go to these supply sites and pick them up and then take them to the various gas stations or you come and deliver them for people's propane tanks or whatever. Is cool. that correct? That is correct. So so once the once the product arrives in these terminals in those in those uh, towns and cities that I mentioned, which is typically supplied by the way through barge, it comes into New Haven Harbor, it's offloaded into large tanks and then it's shipped up that pipeline. And, and it is always a surprise when people say there's literally a pipeline running from New Haven Harbor all the way to Springfield, Massachusetts. That- Look at that and it isn't killing us. Like we we could have pipelines without there being some kind of hideous environmental disaster. Correct. I've been doing this for 21 years, and in my recollection, there has not been a failure of the Buckeye pipeline. So, you know what? It, that is, uh, it's sort of an irrational fear. They're they're highly regulated, well maintained, and they provide a essential service to make sure that in in state Connecticut is properly fueled. That's when 
our members go to these terminals with their trucks, fill them up, and as you said, deliver them to gas stations and pe- for home heating to people's homes. And so um, so tell us a little bit about what some of your drivers have experienced. I mean, since some of this has gone up, have they heard from people who are struggling or like what's their experience been? There's a lot of frustration amongst consumers. I will tell you that our members report that many customers are very understanding of the situation as painful as the price is, which is a little bit different than in the past. People, the anger factor seems to be a little more tempered, I think, because of the the amazing amount of attention on what's happening in Europe with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So I, I think that customers are better educated today than they were 20 years ago when international geopolitical events occurred that pushed up the price of, of product. The other thing we're experiencing is when we physically go to these terminals, sometimes it's the tightness in supply is so severe that we have to wait a considerable amount of time for the fuel to fill up so that we can we can load our trucks. So so we're, our our members are reporting delays in being able to get product. Do, do your consumer do your consumers know that just a few years ago the United States was completely energy self-sufficient? Well, absolutely. So we talk about this quite a bit. I mean, part of this problem is is that- uh, I mean, this is a choice. Yes. Um, U.S. energy policy is contributing to higher prices. We went from the first time uh, since World War II as a net importer of product to a net exporter. And that energy independence was something that was the policy initiative of multiple presidents over over 50 years. We finally achieved it. And on the first day of the Biden presidency, he, called, he, he reversed that policy. And that's when the price of oil started to rise. It is not the only reason, but it is absolutely a massive factor in why you're filling up at these prices. And, uh, and do people understand that? I don't, I don't think that they fully understand it. I think a lot of people like to chalk everything off to the war in Europe. And yes, that is a big factor, but there are many pieces to it. And this is a big one. If the president tomorrow decided to open up XL pipeline, allow oil companies to drill on public lands, you would see a reaction by Wall Street because the NYMEX is the largest price discovery mechanism in the history of mankind. And that re- responds to good news. If he were to send that good news to the markets, we would see prices plummet. And, you know, that's what is absolutely bewildering to me, uh, is to allow the American people, to allow people across Connecticut to suffer as the result of a policy choice. Sure. And I'll tell you, sort of the the joke here is that as soon as gasoline prices started to rise after he implemented this national energy policy, what was the first thing he went to do? He called on Saudi Arabia to increase, increase production. Their answer was no. Because they wanted prices to go up. Of course. He is now talking about going back to them again to ask for increases in production when we can do it right here. We don't need to rely on foreign nations that do not do not like the way our way of life and who are profiting on the backs of Connecticut residents and Americans across the country. And, and Venezuela. I mean, we're going to Venezuela, Iran, Saudi Arabia, when here in America we could be creating good jobs for people in an environmentally safe way, and instead we're allowing people to be without fuel and financially strapped and suffering economically as the result of a voluntary policy choice. It's bewildering to me. The the political pressure that high energy prices are putting on the White House 
Can you imagine that what it is doing from all indications of of our sources is that it is forcing him to accelerate a nuclear deal with Iran to allow them to enhance their nuclear program so that he can bring prices down when he has the ability just to turn to U.S. producers to say we want to return to being not reliant on the rest of the world for supply? And I understand the power of the so-called green lobby. Um, But that being said, it is one of the most enormous political self-immolations I've ever seen in my not inconsiderable time on this earth. Yes, the the environmentalists, you know, you we've often heard over the last number of years that big oil was so strong. Well, big oil looks nothing compared to <laughs> big environment. It's environment incorporated now. They are making money at being able to strangle consumers uh, who need this 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 essential product. You know, you can't avoid using gasoline and diesel fuel. The green technologies are not ready for prime time for many reasons. They need massive subsidy to even be competitive, number one. There's questions on whether there's ample resources to even bring them online. So until that day comes, the the stark reality is, is that we have to use the energy that we have that's abundant and up until recently relatively affordable. Um, and, and until the day that those green technologies are ready – then you need to do what you can to help Americans today. Well, of course. And uh, and the thing that is uh, irritating to me is that you don't have a media that is willing to look at some of the financial links that many of the president's biggest supporters have with a lot of these um, technologies and Actually, the fact that now um, some of the policies he's put in place will actually advantage China, where some of these solar panels are actually manufactured. It's completely bewildering. Well, I think you and I both know that if there wasn't money to be made and power to be gained, that they wouldn't be pursuing this. It wouldn't make sense. You know, to have to to, to have to in, uh, put taxpayer money into subsidizing uh, these products and to the extent that they have to, you would never do it. You would go to the least cost, most most uh, available products. And, it's, and those are not it at this time. Again, there will be a place in the future. There'll be break, technological breakthroughs. Sure. And that's the way to try and do it is through technological breakthroughs. And competition. And competition, because competition is the answer to everything. And it's really why, um, you know, it makes me sorry to say so, but when our good friends on the left, like AOC, try and insist that capitalism is the problem, actually the problem is we don't have enough capitalism. We have government putting its um, thumb on the scale at every point in the process. When capitalism has been allowed to work— It actually works very well because there is competition and the market is able to allocate its resources in the most efficient way. Every time government picks winners and losers in the energy space, they tend to be wrong and consumers tend to spend more. And I'll give you an example. Ten years ago, the state of Connecticut decided to incentivize uh, the the, – switching over to natural gas from home heating oil and propane, go to a utility model where there is no choice, there is no competition. Every single person who who were duped by the government to make those those switches to natural gas, none of them ever saved any money. They never recovered the, co- the capital cost of investing that equipment. So instead of allowing cheap natural gas that was, was, was coming online faster and faster, benefit customers, they got involved, decided to subsidize, increased rates, and therefore customers never made out. So government isn't, they're not good at running the DMV. Why do they think they're going to be good at being able to engineer our energy economy? Well, you know, that's the thing that's always amazing to me is you look at the way um, the post office has run 
at a consistent loss with no innovation until it's forced on them through competition like FedEx, right? And then you look at um, the well-known compassion of organizations like the IRS. And then you think, why would you trust them? Let's let entrepreneurs in to actually compete because I do believe in the real honest, hardworking um, entrepreneurs who are genuinely devoted to environmental aims. The the difference is that now it's become this kind of green piggy bank um, and the wrong kind of people in too many cases have gotten involved. And that's why we have all of this um, business in Washington with too many politically connected people doing things that don't make any sense for the American people. Agreed. Once upon a time, when I was growing up, environmentalists cleaned up the environment by making sure that litter was collected. Do you, you know, remember the crying Indian? I do remember the crying Indian. I guess we're dating ourselves. Yeah, I'm afraid so. <laughs> um, but being much older than you, it's even worse than that. I mean, the, the environmentalists at one time could move the needle because they could. They did things that were tangible and measurable. And now we talk about things that there's debate over over the science of it. And, and, and that is... And worse yet, they try and shut down any real debate over the science of it. You're yes. not actually allowed to talk about... The the science of it. And, um, and you know, people who can't get the weather right for next week are trying to tell you with absolute certainty what's going to happen in a thousand years. And if you try to, you're shamed. And, and you know, I mean, they have successfully been able to convince society that this is worth it. Well, I will tell you, this election is going to be a big test on whether people are willing to pay for the green energy that the government is telling them is in their best interest. And that test is because with prices at these levels, they're going to vote based on that. And I think that, that there'll be a lot to, to be told in this upcoming election in November. Well, you know, Chris, one of the things that's always interested me is I'm willing, um, I'm willing to believe there's an emergency when all the powerful and elite people start behaving as though they believe there's an emergency. And so far, I haven't seen much evidence that they actually believe it. Yeah, when you're when you're jumping in your SUV to go to the next environmental rally, or jumping on a jet to fly from DC to to California to to speak at an environmental rally, what are you saying? Because you know, I grew up in. Actions speak louder than words. And I don't see politicians who are telling us what's in our best interest acting the way that they want us to act. They're trying to engineer our behavior, but they're not willing to practice it themselves. And that's, I'm sure, not a surprise to anyone that members of Congress are doing that. Right. Um, And especially the ones who talk the most vocally about how important environmental responsibility is. So as we uh, come into our last few minutes, help us understand a little bit if there are any any ways um, that any of us, you know, especially those who are struggling the most, um, can do anything to help ourselves with, I mean, I know there are these, um, the you know, websites that can help you find, for example, the gas stations that are perhaps charging at least, you know, mm-hmm. somewhat competitively in your area. Um, is there anything this summer that can help people? Any, 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 anything? Yeah, I, mean, I do have some advice. I mean, obviously, we're in a hyper competitive marketplace. You know, there's over a thousand retailers on the street fighting it out every day for, for your business, for your, your listeners business. Um, but you know what, you're saving a nickel. 
maybe a dime if you're lucky, if you're willing to drive several miles out of your way. And then which, you've probably spent the dime. Exactly. So so what can you do? What, how can you can take control? How you can, can take control is to make sure that your, your car is operating at peak efficiency, your tires are properly inflated. Those are things that we might take a little bit of uh, for granted when prices are lower. But now that prices are high, you should really talk to your mechanic. Is your car tuned up? Is it, is it you know, if you can knock 5%, 10% off of your, your mileage because you've just properly inflated your tires, and make sure the car is tuned up, then that could that will save you. Those are that'll be measurable savings at these price levels. Um, same thing with home heating. You know, we have a hundred days until the heating season comes. These prices are extremely high. I don't know what's going to happen over the next hundred days, but you, this is the time to have an, a licensed professional HVAC technician come in and tune up your heating system so that you're able to get as much energy into the home and not out the uh, out the, the stack. So there are things you can do, but frankly, it's. The war in Ukraine doesn't look like it's anywhere close to ending. Uh, the supply and demand imbalance that we're experiencing is intense. Federal energy policy, they seem unwilling to help Americans by changing their minds. So the the big events and is demand destruction going to occur because of a recession? Those questions are going to play out in the coming months. I suspect that eventually a correction will come. But the biggest question is when will it come? And I don't know the answer to that. Yes. Well, um, you know, we will all soldier on. But um, again, the thing to remember, I guess, is that a lot of this is the result of voluntary choices on the part of policymakers. And, uh, and it's a little shocking, honestly, but at least we know what we know and we can act and think accordingly. And I think that we can, that, that people will put more pressure for Washington to take action. And, and when we're talking about prices going over $6 a gallon, by August, and that's what most prognosticators believe are going, is going to happen. I think that that intense pressure is going to have to force changes in policy, and and let's hope that that happens. Yes, and in this country, you know, if they want to enact a Green New Deal, they should do it through our elected representatives. They shouldn't do it through uh, deliberately inflicting pain on the people they're supposed to be representing and helping. And have an honest conversation as you're pursuing those votes. Tell tell cust- uh, can, uh, voters what your position is and that, you know what, because many legislators believe they're willing to pay this price. There are a number of them who are saying this is a good thing because it's going to accelerate the green revolution. And I absolutely disagree. This is uh, this isn't something you can't go out and buy a Tesla and have it in your driveway tomorrow. But you could go out and buy you know a Ford and have it in your driveway tomorrow. So th- this is not going to accelerate it. It's just going to continue to punish consumers. And you know. Honesty is important. And we are a democratic republic. We are supposed to do things with the consent of the people, not through these sort of covert imposition of pain on on consumers who have not signed up for a particular set of policy objectives. But Chris, I appreciate you coming um, and explaining a lot of this uh, policy and actually how the whole um, sort of tank to pump to car, to everything else works in Connecticut. And we are very grateful to you, Chris Herb of the Connecticut Energy Marketers Association. Thanks so much for being with us on YCT Matters. We appreciate you joining us for this edition, and we look forward to seeing you all next time. This is Carol Platt-Lebow, president of Yankee Institute. Thanks for joining us. I'll show you around this place I call home.